Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Welcome to Slammed, a Celtics podcast covering the Celtics and the NBA at large. I'm Megan Adelini from WEEI, joined by Esteban Bustillos from GBH and Justin Turpin, also of WEEI. And guys, we are starting off our big topic of the week, talking about ugly games. Celtics have had a couple of ugly wins. And if you're a Boston fan, if you're a longtime Boston sports fan, I think you want to love the ugly wins. So they beat the Pacers 129-124 on Tuesday night. They beat the Pelicans 118-112. But are you coming off of these victories feeling more confident about the Celtics being able to find different ways to win as Joe Missoula has been trying to position it? Or are we calling this the closest thing that this team is going to get to a slump? I mean, it's a good slump to have if you're winning. Uh, I, I guess the Pacers game was really weird, right? Because they score 81 in the first half, uh, which was it tied their franchise record, uh, if I'm correct. Too shy. Yes. Right. Oh, too shy. Too shy. Too shy. Of, 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 the, of, of the franchise record uh, for points scored in a half. And then they almost blow the game. Um, I mean, a win is a win. And I I, I do like the, the sort of mantra that Missoula has had, though, of like, you you can't expect things to go right all the time. Uh, I, 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 I do, I guess with that game, I was sort of expecting it to be more of of a strong win, of a blowout. But, you know, I guess you 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 take what you can get in the NBA on a night-to-night basis, really. Yeah, and you mentioned Missoula's comments. Let's just jump right into that because we have what I thought was kind of a strong word that he threw out there apropos of nothing. So he just comes up with this word that I think he would love to back away from if he was being honest. Let's hear him uh, talking about how the Celtics have been, I guess, their mindset in some of these games. So he was then pressed by the reporter in the follow-up question saying, is the entitlement, as he said, coming from inside the team or is that an outside narrative? And uh, Joe quickly jumped on that and goes, yeah, yeah, that's an outside narrative. That's coming from the outside. Kind of like we can't believe the press about us. But I think he showed his hand a little bit there that he knows at times this iteration of the Celtics with the Jays has been accused of being a front-running team and has acted like a front-running team and knows that they have a target on the back and they can either use that to fuel themselves or they can go into these games with 
definitely lesser opponents when you're looking at the Pelicans, challenging but lesser opponents when you're looking at the Pacers and saying, well, these are scheduled wins, so we already have these circled. These aren't the Minnesotas or even the Golden States or the Clippers right. or anybody like that, people that we really, really need to you know, show up for. What did right. you guys make of those comments? I it is you're right. I mean, he nobody pressed him to say entitlement. He did sort of uh say that himself. So I do wonder if, or if that is part of something that they're trying to avoid is that sense of oh, we're the Celtics, we should win these games. I mean, Justin, you were at I guess the Pacers game. What what was that sort of feeling that that you got when the Pacers were trying to coming coming back there in the second half? Was the was was there a sense, I guess, that that the team was maybe starting to panic isn't the right word, but that they were that they were like, oh, this this could slip slip out of their hands. Honestly, my first thought was like, here we go again, because the third quarters have been an issue all season long. But this was more of a whole second half problem. But I think, like you said, like this is an issue that Joe actually wants them to deal with because he doesn't want them to get complacent. I think when you're this talented, it's easy to get complacent. Like, oh, you're supposed to win these games like. Like you said, it's scheduled wins, but I think he's done a great job of kind of avoiding that. But my first thought was, here we go again, because it was the third quarter again. They start with the big run, and then it was one to 20-point lead, and then it's gone. So just those third quarters, once again, was my first thought. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's definitely something that we've been hitting on. Sorry, really quick, Esteban. Um, I, I don't – what did you guys make of – and we don't need the sound, but him saying that he wants them to blow leads. Like, okay, go ahead, blow the lead so that I can see how you come back. Like, is it's there funny is there actually is there actually value to that in January? Jalen came to the podium after on the next day and was like, I don't know about that one. He was kind of shot back against it, which was kind of funny. Yeah. Uh I I guess like adversity can build, you know, if, if your your team if you want to sort of go cliche, but I'm sure like they don't want to be playing close games like right like they don't want to have this historic first half and and then have it be an actual game and and you know if, if you if you have 81 points i think sort of the expectation in the back of your mind is like oh jason tatum jalen brown porzingis are probably not gonna be playing towards the end of the fourth quarter but they had to because you know they it was it was a game and mind you indiana is not what i would say is, is a scheduled win a, a good team and you know we all been talking about uh Tyrese Halliburton this whole season what he's done um, okay but it, but is it is it different when he's on a minutes restriction that's true right right and, and you know and, and you're right like he, he wasn't playing that whole game still uh just just the fact that they if, if I if I were a player I would be like yeah look adversity is good but we, you you want to win those games and just be done outright I I and I think this this sort of gets to a larger issue with what Terp mentioned of like, hey, these third quarters, I don't think it's a narrative at this point. I think like there is, uh, it is a factor. They have been still, even with those third quarter issues, winning games. How will that factor when you get into the playoffs where those small margins, they become big margins once you get to the fourth quarter? I think it's really interesting when you look at this point of the calendar, it's, the toughest time for these championship contending teams on paper to stick to all their mantras and all their cliches and everything. Because if you've looked at the Celtics team 
last season, they went almost exactly the same record in January that they had this season. So last year's team in January and 10 and five, this one's 11 and five. And there were some real stinkers. I mean, we didn't really talk about the Clippers loss. That's a heinous loss for your franchise. Um, And so to me, it's interesting to look forward and say, okay, how do you keep what happened last year from happening this year? Because if you look back at the reporting that came out, um, I believe a lot of it was Jared Weiss from The Athletic talking about how things came apart with Grant Williams' minutes. And of course, he's not here anymore. And uh, I think Jalen Brown wanting to focus the team much more so on defense when it was such an offensively powered team last year. A lot of that stuff tends to rear its head around the All-Star break. And while I know some the NBA at large has its eyes on the trade deadline, I look at it and I think it's a great opportunity to talk about who Joe Missoula is showing himself to be in games, aside from the press conferences, which are a right. totally different animal, but who he seems to be connecting with this this team, with Kristaps Porzingis and Drew Holiday now added in, who he seems to be at this point this year compared to last year, when they're, they're very similar in terms of their records and where they seem to be on, on pace for getting back to the finals. I'll just toss it to you guys first. Wait, what do you think of Missoula this year compared to last year? It's a broad question. Yeah. I think just having the, when we, when we sort of been talking about this, having a full off season to get ready rather than like four days and you're now the head coach uh, has changed a lot. The, I think the chemistry is with, with a team, with people knowing how he operates has, has, has made, this probably a, a better team. Not and obviously when you bring in Porzingis and Drew Holiday, that's going to change what you're able to do. So I I would say it's it's better. I mean the the timeout stuff. I know that's been uh, a criticism. It seems that he's he's gotten better, just like the end game strategy part. But the hardest part for being a head coach, uh, something I've said before, is just getting people to what you're trying to sell. And I think this team has bought into what Missoula is trying to do. I don't know, Tar. What 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 is what have you seen? Yeah, I completely agree that they've bought into what he's selling. And that's impressive in on his part, because when you have a team that's this talented, it's easy for them to tune out the coach. Like we've seen it before where these talented teams don't really want to, they think they're too good. They don't really want to listen to the coach. And I don't say, maybe that's what happened with Milwaukee and Adrian Griffin, where that's not happening with the Celtics. And, you know, you look at that situation, you got to feel pretty good about Joe. And I just think like when you have a whole off season to prepare and then you get to build your own staff and you bring in Charles Lee, you bring in Sam Cassell, that makes all the difference. And he's just been so much more comfortable from day one. And I think like, when you go from a back of the bench assistant to head coach, there's a lot of different responsibilities that go with that. And you kind of got to the media and that's one thing, but like, you know, you kind of lose touch with some of those bench players and that's what he said, but like, he's really made it a, a point to be connected with the whole roster. And I think that's gone a long way and they're really buying into what he said. So I give Joe an A for this year. I don't think there's really anything he could have done much better. It's he deserves a lot of credit for, dealing with all these personalities and granted they're not like you know like brooklyn with Kyrie and kd they're not like that but like with all this talent the way he's handled it and gotten them to buy into his message is really impressive yeah look the the personnel is a is a double-edged sword because on the one hand you have the most talented starting five in the league and so it's like okay could, could this team be on autopilot for the record i don't think that they could but you could people will make that argument 
on the other side, you have guys now who are, there's one ball, you know, and you have to share it and you have to, at the same time, you have a super max player in Jalen Brown. You have Jason Tatum, who is usually in the MVP conversation and going to be getting his super max deal too. So balancing out the personnel and being able to keep everybody focused on the same thing and the same ultimate goals and the same identity is a huge task in itself. But even when it comes to the basketball, I think that Missoula has some really different concepts than he was showing last year. You know, he last year at this time, he was talking about empowering the playmakers and having this free flowing offense that really didn't seem to have a lot of organization. Um, I would encourage people who want to read up on this in a deeper level to read Jay King in The Athletic. He just had a nice piece talking about Joe Missoula's organization on the offensive side of the ball. And he's almost been kind of forced into that because he has two more playmakers injected into the system. And so it's like, okay, how are we going to take advantage of the different looks that that defense is giving us in terms of the different strengths that we have now with our, with who we have in the lineup. And then on top of that, I think it's very smart that he has tried to elevate and incorporate the defensive side of this team back in. Yeah, And he talked about it a little bit at times last year, but I think it was a real split in terms of who this team thought that they were coming off of the Ime Odoka season and then who they were becoming with their stats-driven three-point high-powered offense. And for them to incorporate a little bit of this zone defense that they've been showing now this season um, going into as a wild card that they show having Derek white elevated as such a great defender, obviously adding drew holiday when you're subtracting Marcus smart. Um, I think for all those reasons, aside from wacky stuff, he might say at the podium or back and forth, he might get into with Gary Washburn or Dan Shaughnessy (laughs) or anybody else. I really think he's showing himself to, to have a ton of growth this season. And to be honest, like if you had asked me, back in November and October, if I thought that there he would be this different in terms of his coaching philosophies, I wouldn't have expected it. Yeah, I know this is an end of the year sort of thing, um, and it's it's only January, but looking at across the league, do you think he's on a potential shortlist for coach of the year, given how he's performed, how the Celtics uh, have, have performed? Justin, do you want to take that one first? I just talked yeah, I, for like three minutes. <laughs> I do think he's on that list. I think he was he was a candidate last year, so I think he's definitely on that list again this year. Um, but I think it more co- looks back at Brad Stevens, right, as executive of the year. I think is more likely, especially with given what teams around the league have done, like the Thunder and even the Knicks, kind of turning it around now. So I think yeah. he'll be on that list. But I think Brad Stevens will get more of the credit. But Joe deserves a ton of credit, like we've been talking about. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think. You know, looking, thinking about like what Chris Finch has done with Minnesota, that that's that's a guy who who may be uh, deserving of that. Uh, same thing, similar situation. OKC, but yeah. I mean, it, you know, the, I guess the Coach of the Year award is is weird because it's not like you just give it based on record alone. You know, Mike Brown won last year, and obviously the Kings weren't uh, the best team in the league, but just that sort of turnaround. This is a it, it's it's. 
I guess with Missoula, it's like, how can you not succeed with the roster you, you've been given? But I think everything we just said of just the adjustments that he has made, uh, this whole, uh, you know, being able to to play different people in different positions. The the way he's used Drew Holiday is, is especially on defense, I think is is really fascinating. So, yeah, I, I could see that him being um, at near that top of that list, if not if not ending up as, as the finalist. Yeah, I think he should be in the conversation. He, I think like a lot of other, uh, whether it's players or anyone else involved in the organization, may be a, a victim of how good their roster is. Same reason why I think Jason Tatum is has been, I haven't checked the Kia ladder. Is there a new one out today? Uh, but he's, you know, for the last two, he's been sixth in the MVP voting. Um, it, I, I don't think that takes away at all or invalidates what I think has been a huge jump in his sophomore year of coaching. Um, and I guess I just feel like after how much crap I've talked about him on the radio, like I just, <laughs> I need to, I need like a mea culpa or something, but who knows, maybe February and March will be a hot mess and we'll get another, maybe we'll have Derek white at the free throw line saying, I'm going to make them both. <laughs> and we'll have some, whole, you <laughs> yeah. know, like that again, where we'll all hang our heads. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, you know, awards like that, those are great, but the, the real sort of coaching gauntlet is when, when you get into the postseason, And then when you have these seven game series, when all of those, those tiny decisions, those tiny edges, when you use timeouts, et cetera, can win or lose games against the most talented teams in the league. So I think, you know, that's that's going to be sort of the real test to see how much has he learned um, from last year's playoff run and how can he apply that to what this team is now.